0: Thank you so much. Uh, again, it is a privilege to be your pastor. Uh, we are blessed to serve here. We are blessed to, to get to be in ministry here as part of this body of believers, uh, Chillicothe Bible Church. Um, before I begin, uh, just a couple of things I want to mention. Uh, our sister Kathy Wright, who many of you know, had a stroke. This week, and she is still recovering from that. Um, she still has some some slurring. Uh, she has regained um, regained the use of one of her hands that she had lost the use of earlier in the week. But she is asking that we would pray, and I told her that we would. And so, with the full attention of the Holy Spirit and the Body of Christ, I want to pray for her before i do that again i just want to say thank you to all of you um most of you know already that i moved this week on thursday and friday and now we're living in the midst of boxes but 98 percent of all of my possessions are either in my house or in my garage and for that i praise the lord (laughs) uh that in spite of two days of rain that so many of you courageous souls came out and helped us and uh, moved stuff in the rain and um We just can't thank you enough and brought food. I've still got a crock pot full of Floppy Joe meat and about 40 buns at my house. And we're just blessed beyond measure. So thank you so much for that. But let's pray for Kathy and for our service uh, as we open the word together. All right. God, our heavenly father, we are grateful. We are grateful indeed that you are so good to us, so gracious to us. Uh, You've blessed us with such a loving family to be part of, and we thank you for that. Father, um, we want to lift up our time in the Word to you. Uh, Father, we're about to get into a passage as we study through Ephesians that is um, hard to hear for many of us and harder to obey. And, Father, we we ask that your Holy Spirit would be present in this place in a way that helps us to see your word to us as good and as blessed. And, Father, also we pray for our sister Kathy. Uh, We are concerned for her grieved for what has happened to her, Father, with this stroke. We pray that she would make a complete recovery, um, that uh, all of her speech would be fully regained, and also, Father, all the uh, use of all of her uh, muscles and limbs would, would come completely back. Father, we love our sister, and we hate to see her struggle and suffer. And uh, we ask that you would bring her complete healing, and that we might um, be able to celebrate with her uh, in, in just a few days uh, the complete recovery that you have brought into her life. And, Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're visiting with us today, let me just say that um, this is a bit of a weird Sunday to be visiting in that we are preaching our way through, studying our way through the book of Ephesians and we are to everyone's favorite passage in Ephesians um, where it talks about wives submit to your husbands. And so this is not something that um, that we hit on every week or anything like that. Uh, but as we're in the book, this is where we are, and uh, the way that um, I normally do my messages is we um, have a book of scripture that we go through, and, um, and and we go through a few verses at a time, and we see what God has to say to us. So this is where we are in the book. Uh, so if you're uh, here this week as a visitor, and you think, boy, that's, that's strange, they're talking about wives submit to your husbands. Next week, we're going to talk about husbands love your wives because that's where we'll be in the text. So uh, as we open up God's word, we're going to be looking at the first half of a two part message on Christian marriage. Today is the portion addressing wives um, and then uh, because they're addressed first in the text. And then uh, next week, we'll look at Christian husbands. And by way of introduction, let me say a couple of important things. Number one, you might want to write this down keep your elbows to yourself. (laughs) If you're married, keep your elbows to yourself. Lots of us love to point out all of the ways in which we think our spouses are not living up to the Bible's teaching. And to that tendency, let me respond by repeating what Jesus said about these things. With the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own? So both this week and next week, let's commit ourselves in advance to a measure and a standard of grace. Amen? We give grace to each other. Um, By the way, if you ever say to your spouse on either side of the equation, well, you know the Scripture says that you should... You just lost. Alright? Don't do that. Don't use the Scripture as a club in your marriage. Okay? Don't do that. Um, um, secondly, and again, this is important. This passage is here for our good. For our blessing. God is not giving us His Word to punish us. And we sometimes forget that when we look at passages of Scripture like this that we find it challenging often to obey. But this passage is here because Jesus loves us and our obedience is part of his project to redeem us from the bondage brought about by sin uh, and the curse. And we're going to talk about that a little bit also. And this whole passage is in fact um, about how Jesus, uh, through the gospel, through believing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead, we receive new life. Amen? That's the gospel. But this passage is about how one of the outgrowths of our new life in Jesus is that is the redemption of marriage. In Genesis three sixteen in the passage about the curse, uh, God tells the couple that there's going to be struggles between the two of them. And if you if you don't if you're not in the small group, you need to get in the small group. But uh, regardless, there are small group questions out there, and we'll, you can look at that passage in more detail in small group. Uh, but if you're not familiar with the with Genesis chapter three verse sixteen, this is what it says in part. Um the woman, God is speaking to the woman, and it says to him, your desire, she, she God says to her, your desire will be for your husband. And it's desire to control, desire to rule over him. But he will rule over, and that's not a good word, um, it's the word for domination. He will rule over you. By the way, let's remember, this is the curse. This is not what God intended. And so our passage is about how that is redeemed by Jesus in Christian homes. How the curse is reversed. So this is not a repetition of the curse. This is the redemption from the curse in a Christian household. So with those uh, reminders in mind, I want to... uh, to look at what the Scripture does say here in these three verses that are written to wives in First Corinthians—I mean, in, not First Corinthians—in Ephesians chapter five, verses twenty-two to twenty-four. So, if you would stand in honor of God's Word with me as I read, this is what the Word of God says: Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let's pray. God, our heavenly Father, again we come to you and we ask your blessing uh, on the not only the reading of your word, but on, on the our application and uh, to your word. Uh, Father, this is a that challenges us. And confronts us in ways that rub the that fur on us the wrong way. And yet, Father, we know that we need to turn the uh, key We need to walk with you and to trust you. And to follow what you call us to do. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to walk in obedience to your word. Even in passages like challenging some for us sometimes. And, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's be seated. All right, so verse twenty-two. There's just three verses here in this section, um, out of eleven verses uh, that are here in this section of scripture. Wives get three and a half, uh, and the guys get the remainder. The half of verse is down in verse uh, thirty-three, which we'll get to next week. Um, but wives get three and a half. You guys get the remainder. Verse 22 is a command, and though the text itself is clear, it might not be equally clear to everyone regarding what it means and what it does not mean. Let's look, first of all, at the first word of verse 22. It's the word wives. Now, that ought to give us a clue that this is for married Christian women. So this isn't a text that applies to women in general, or even to Christian women in particular, uh, but only to that subset of Christian women who are also married. Okay. Now I want to be clear on that because there are some teachers out there who will tell you that, that all Christian women have to submit to all Christian men, regardless of context. That's not true. That's not biblical. That's not what the Scripture says. Okay? Um, the next word is submit. And that English word is a good translation of the verb. The verb is actually not present in verse 22. It carries over from verse 21. And it's the word in Greek, kupotasomenoi. Okay? Now you don't need to know that. But you do need to know this. And it has carries the idea of to to put or to place yourself willingly under someone else's authority and to willingly obey or to follow someone else. When you got married, a lot of women, we used to have uh, very traditional Christian vows that we did at weddings. And the wife would always say, do you promise? And the wife's vow went, You promise to love, honor, and obey this man. And we don't like that now. So a lot of those we edit out, right? We edit out that part. But this is faithful to the text, what that word means. To willingly obey, follow someone else is to So the command is, if I can put it in my own words here, wives, Willingly place yourselves under your husband's authority and obey his leadership. And the final part of the command here is also clarifying it. It's the, it's the phrase as to the Lord. Uh, in, the sa- in other words, in the same way that you obey the Lord. Now, more on that in a minute, because it, that phrase and or, or similar wording is going to come up later in the text, and I'm going to spend a little more time on that. But it's a qualifier that's very important for how far this command extends. Uh, now, let me ask you wives something. Those of you, I've never been a wife. Um, I have one, fortunately, but I've never been one. Is this a tall order? Is this hard? Feel free to feel free to shake your head either way, right? I already told your husband he can't elbow you, right? <laughs> but so so is this hard? Is this a tall order? It is hard. And by the way, sometimes it's a fearful thing because it requires you to be able to both trust the man that you married to lead you well, and even more than that, to trust the Lord with your marriage and with your husband's leadership amen Uh, that's why first peter um, chapter 3 verses 1 to 6 peter talks about don't give in to fear as you follow your husband because this is a fearful thing and by the way if i had to follow some of your husbands i would be afraid too (laughs) right but i know my wife is sometimes afraid to follow me like uh, i don't know about this honey Um, because you have to be able to trust the Lord as well as trust your husband, right? But this is what the text means, that part of your high calling of following Jesus as a wife is laying your life down by saying, I will follow you wherever you go to another human being who is also, by the way, a sinner, just like you. Now, let me add a couple of important comments here. First, uh, Martin Luther once said something like this, um, that we are prone to think and act like a drunk man on horseback who having fallen off the horse on the left side are then prone to overcorrect and fall off the next time on the right side of the horse, right? So when interpreting this passage, people are prone to falling off the horse on one side or the other. We want to stay upright and vertical. And some people try to do away with this passage and its command entirely. And you can always pick up on this when somebody is trying to weasel their way out of what the word says, because uh, they'll be saying things to you like this. Well, you have to understand that Paul's culture was, or the time in which this was written, this was a patriarchal society, and therefore, da 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 da, da right? And what they're doing is trying to erase out of their Bible what is there for our good. Uh, to them, I would say, that remember that this passage is not the curse. This is the redemption and the restoration of God's design. So encouraging Christian wives to usurp their husband's leadership is putting them back under the curse. It is to tell them, no, no, that struggle for control in your home is a good thing. And you need to to strive for it. Um... On the other hand, there are people who want to make the text say more than it does. I've already mentioned that there are some people who want to make this passage teach that it's applicable to all Christian women in all situations such that the woman can't teach uh, other women even, or a woman can't lead a business, or a woman can't run for office, or manage an organization in any way. That organization includes men. That's not true. Others depart from the Word of God when they turn submission into servility where a Christian wife is expected to wait on her husband hand and foot at all times and fulfill every desire he expresses and cannot ever question, cannot ever offer counsel, cannot ever express herself publicly without his permission or have any opinions of her own. That is not true either. That is not the biblical picture of submission just another version, in fact, of Genesis 3.16 and the curse where it says He will rule over you. That's a sinful expression of that. This passage is given to help us experience Christ's redemption from that kind of power struggle. And this is one of the reasons By the way, I just want to say this. This is one of the reasons why this is very important if you are a woman who is a believer in Jesus Christ that you marry a God-fearing Christian man who loves Jesus more than he loves you. Because if you do not, this will be harder than it needs to be by orders of magnitude. And if you ask those questions Christian women in our church who are married to a Christian man, how hard this is, they will tell you, yeah, son, it's hard on some days. But if you ask those who are married to a non-Christian man how hard this is, they will tell you it's a lot harder than it has to be. Um... If you are so foolish as to marry a man who is not a believer, then may God have mercy on you. And I am not kidding. Because while God forgives you that sin and He is incredibly merciful, this command still applies to you. And and But you do not have the benefit of expecting that your unbelieving husband will lead you in a way that will be God-honoring. And you don't have the benefit of having the Spirit of God working in his heart and his life to knock the junk off of his soul and make it easier to follow him. And who's not going to be there to rebuke your unbelieving husband for his failures. And so don't make this any harder on yourself than it has to be. Amen? Don't do that. It is far better to be lonely and single than lonely and married and weeping bitter tears over the fact that you married some unbelieving, departing-from-the-faith man that you now are yoked to the rest of your life. Don't do that. If you come to me having done that and say, I married an unbeliever, what do I now do? I will tell you on Halloween 2021, I told you not to do this. Now, let's pray about how you do this. Right? Please don't. Please. As your pastor and as someone who loves you, don't marry an unbelieving man. Don't do it. And don't say to yourself, well, he's the church, so it's fine. No. Don't do it. Don't marry an unbeliever. The Scripture is clear on this. So, here's the point being made in this verse. Verse 22, if you're a Christian wife, your calling is to willingly follow your husband's lead in the same way that you follow Jesus. Now, thankfully for us, God has given us the next two verses to understand this even better. So look with me now at verses 23 and 24, which teach us how to do this and how it is meant to be a living imitation of the gospel and what results from it. So verse 23 and 24 are the first indication that we get that Christian marriage isn't simply legal recognition of a relationship between a man and a woman. Christian marriage is a distinct species of thing, all of its own. And it's intended as a living enactment of the gospel message. So you know, when we take communion, what are we doing? We are celebrating what Jesus has done for us at the cross. That he has poured out his, his blood and his body has been broken to redeem us from sin. And we participate that in, that in a tangible way as a reminder to ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. When we get baptized... We are buried with Christ as we go under the water, right? That's the idea and the symbol that's there. And then as we come up out of the water, it's as if we are resurrected with Christ, which we are spiritually, but we do it physically to remind ourselves of this truth that we've experienced, right? In the same way, when a couple gets married, a Christian couple gets married, what they're doing is uniting themselves to a form of relationship where they enact day by day the relationship of Christ and the Church, where He is the loving, self-sacrificial leader, and she, the uh, the respectful follower, who comes along behind Him and take and goes with Him wherever He goes, just like we follow Jesus. Amen. So that's what you're doing, is that you are enacting the gospel. When some people read verse 23 For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and his himself, its Savior, they're afraid of what it might mean. But there's no reason for fear if we understand God's word here in his fullness. The word "head" here is meant to indicate that the husband has authority over his wife in the same way that Jesus does the church. So there is an order and a structure to the Christian home. It's not simply a partnership. Uh, one is CEO and the other is senior vice president. All right, um, but there is an order and a structure, not not of not of not of worth, not of Uh, Dignity, not of value, but of structure. Okay? A wife, because she submits, is not less valuable to God. She has equal dignity, equal value, equal worth, equal standing. But there is an order and a structure. Husband is the head, and the wife is the body, just like Christ is the head and we, the church, are the body. But let's not get ahead of ourselves and, make, and, and misread the text and think that somehow this makes the husband equal with Jesus. Okay? He's not. He's not Jesus. Um, he doesn't have that kind of, uh, of absolute authority. And remember also, whenever God gives authority, He also demands greater accountability. So what is true of pastors and elders and leaders in the church is also true of husbands. Those who lead, James 3.1 says, will be judged with greater strictness. So don't get too big for your britches here, men. Amen? Don't go, well, I'm the boss. I'm the leader. No, you're the one who's accountable. Jesus said it this way in Luke 12, 48, to whom much is given, much will be required. There's accountability if you're the head. And second, look at your Bible. Take a pen. And I want you to circle two words in verse 22. And also again, in um, verse 24. Okay. And also verse 23, same word. It's two letters. The word as. As to Christ. As the church submits. As to the Lord. Okay? It's a comparative. It's a comparative word meant to describe the way in which husband leads his wife. And what? How does so? How so? Let's ask the question and then answer it. How does a husband lead his wife like Jesus? So let me ask you, who are wives? How many of you who are wives are afraid of how Jesus leads you? Not very, I would guess. Fellow husbands, how did Jesus become the Savior of the church? The text tells us by dying for her. He became the Savior by dying for her. So we ought to be getting a clue right here as to what this kind of headship, this kind of leadership looks like. And it isn't the selfish, I am Lord of the manor, little woman, and you must submit to me, right? Right? Uh, That's the way a non-Christian might react. That's Genesis 3.16 reaction. It's not that. It's self-sacrificial leadership, which leads for the lasting blessing and permanent benefit of those who are led. Amen? So, look at verse 24 now. I'll read it again. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Uh, well, what does this mean? Well, remember again that Christian marriage is meant to reflect and imitate the gospel. So our marriages are meant to reveal how Jesus loves us and how we love each other as husband and wife, as witnesses to the world. Your marriage, men and women who are married, is meant to be a testimony of the gospel in In living form, to those who watch, right? If you have a good marriage, and you're you're kind of, you know, and you're kind of obvious about the fact that you enjoy being together. Believe it or not, non Christians look at that and they go, "I want that. Whatever they got, I want that." Where did that come from? And you have an opportunity at that point to say, "Well." What you're seeing is the impact of Jesus' presence in our home and in our lives. And if you don't know Jesus, let me introduce you. Um, The gospel is present as, as a witness to the world as we do this well. More on that next week. But many times people look at a verse like verse 24 and they read it in a thoroughly worldly way emphasizing the words in everything and reading them as if they're some kind of absolute command and therefore giving the husband license to kind of order his wife about and do her, do, tell her, you have to do absolutely everything that I command. You have to submit because it says in everything. Again, that's a thoroughly worldly way of reading the text. It does say that, but you have to read the whole verse. Look at the opening clause again. What does it say? Now, as the church submits to Christ. There's that little word as again. And it's really important. In fact, it's one of the most dangerous words in the whole Bible, right? Um, Remember, Jesus taught us to pray. He said, as... Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Uh, I don't like that. (laughs) Right? I don't like that there, but I like it here. It's a very important word because it qualifies what in everything means. So answer this question again. How does Jesus lead us? Are his commands ultimately selfish, given only that he might be served and that we might be dominated and put under his heel? I think the answer is obvious. It's no. In fact, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, because I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he also said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as we're looking at as the church submits to Christ, let me ask some questions for you. Does a wife have to submit to criminal activity? like drug dealing or theft, and cover for her husband? No. Does a wife have to submit to the defilement of her marriage bed with adultery or with pornography or some other lustful activity to which her husband demands her acquiescence? No. I, I could share with you at this point some horrific stories um, over the course of 20 years of pastoral ministry where people come to me and they say, this is what's going on in my home. Do I have to continue to put up with that? No. Jesus does not commend that behavior and He does not command you to submit to it, uh, Does a woman have to submit to a, a sinful demand that she stop attending church? No. Does she have to submit to abuse? No. Let me say that very clearly for those in the back. No. She does not have to submit to that. Does she have to submit to the kind of foolishness that puts her or her children at substantial risk of significant physical harm? No. Why not? Because Jesus does not do these things to us. Jesus doesn't do that to us. He does not demand that that we, the church, do that. So wives do not have to submit to them in their marriages either. By the way, ladies, open invitation. If any of this kind of stuff is happening in your house, you need to come to me and the elders and we will do whatever we can to stop it. Okay? You don't have to submit to that. We don't want you to submit to that. Jesus doesn't call you to submit to that. Husbands, if you're thinking that your wife has to yield to whatever you demand, don't be so sinfully selfish. Repent and ask her forgiveness. If you have demanded that kind of thing of your wife. But Christian wives, let me be very clear again. If your husband is asking you to do something which is not sin, then you are calm and commanded to imitate the church in yielding to your husband's leadership and in willingly following his lead and putting on display the beauty of how we, the church, follow Jesus. So the question should be this. Is what my husband asking me to do sinful or dishonoring to Christ? Is there a risk I'll be seriously harmed by this? If the answer to both of these questions is no, then you should yield and follow your husband. And that may mean some scary things. It has meant some scary things for my wife. Would you, uh, would you follow me 17 hours away from home so I can go to, sem- to seminary in Dallas away from all of our friends and family? Yeah, will you go with me halfway around the world to Africa, and teach women and over there while I teach men in the seminary classroom? Yeah. <laughs> um, will Will you have children with me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, will you have four of them inside five years? That wasn't really part of the plan, <laughs> but <laughs> but that what happened. We didn't have any kids for five years, and then we had five in the next, or four in the next five years. Right? It was, uh, it was kind of amazing. Will you follow me to Illinois? That was scary. I'm gonna go on the other side of the Jordan into Moab over here, right, <laughs> from Iowa, <laughs> and uh, and and serve in a small town. Will you do that? Yeah. Has it been scary sometimes? She's followed, and Karen, if she were up here, it would actually tell tell you that there is great freedom being a Christian wife and being able to say say to your husband, "You make the call, sweetheart, I'll pray for you. You are the one who answers to God <laughs> right." yeah okay uh, but this is a this is a high and a holy calling for christian wives as a spirit-filled christian wife you get the privilege and the opportunity to put on display the beautiful submission of the church to the lord jesus in a living and a god-honoring way and it is a privilege to be to have that as a calling you get to experience the paradoxical freedom of willing submission and following your husband's lead as you follow Jesus together. It's challenging, and it's counterintuitive, and it's amazing, and when it's done well, it is attractive and a gorgeous testimony to the transformation of a person's life that comes about when Jesus saves you. Lots of people wonder what difference Jesus makes in the here and now. And this is one of the places where Jesus' presence transforms us. As we experience the reversal of the curse in the garden on the marriages of those who follow Jesus. And it is tremendous testimony to a watching world that to follow Jesus well is to have a home and a family where self-sacrificial love abounds in Jesus-like love and church-like submission. But do we need Jesus' help in this? Amen. Yes, we do. And so I want to close in prayer and ask Jesus to help us by His Holy Spirit to live this out. And then next week, wives, tuck your elbows. Okay? Because we're going to talk to your husbands next week. All right. So, um, let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your blessing us with Your Word. We thank You for the high and holy calling that is given to wives this week. uh, And for the the high and holy calling that is given to husbands that we'll look at in detail next week, Father, we we ask that You would, by Your Holy Spirit, empower our obedience because, Father, this is impossible for us. Everything in our sinful nature rebels against a passage like this. Everything in our culture tells us this is the wrong way for us to go. And yet, Father, Your Word calls us in its eternal beauty and its hard Words to follow Jesus even in this, and Father, we need your empowerment from your Holy Spirit. We need, um, we need the transformation that comes about uh, through our Lord Jesus by His Spirit to live this out in a way that testifies to the truth that Jesus came into the world to save sinners and redeemed us. And Father, we love you. And we we ask for Your blessing and Your help in all these things. In Jesus' name, Amen.